Thank you, choir and musicians. What a wonderful blessing we have at Campbell Street. We are privileged every week to be prompted in worship by our wonderful music people. I'm grateful to God for them, for the gift of them to us. I'm always honored to be able to stand in the prompter's box at Gambrel Street Baptist Church. I've always felt that it was a privilege. In fact, I have felt that I had the best position in the world when I was pastor here. And I, I would not leave it for anything if it were my choice. I'm grateful to God for all the gifts that He has given us as a faith family. I, uh, I do want you to remember our pastor and his wife. Thank you, Zachariah, for remembering them. We have them and Walter Kruger and Norma Hickson also have tested positive for COVID and maybe some others I don't know about. But we want to remember all of them and especially our pastor. He is a great gift to us. And I thank God for him and Beverly for their friendship and they're prompting us as we worship together and do church together. I want us to read together a very brief portion of Scripture, but if you'd like, I'd invite you to stand with me to reverence the reading of the Word of God. <clears throat> it's from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, a couple of verses in the Sermon on the Mount, beginning with verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is the Word of God. Thank you, Father, for your Word. And for all of your gifts to us, we pray that you'll speak to us through your word and change us and draw us closer to you and help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Many years ago, I preached a sermon, and in the course of it, I used a little essay from Wes Seliger about frogs. It was a silly little illustration that spoke about the need for the church to be a body who had as its primary responsibility to kiss frogs. Now there's a leap to get there, you know. It tells about the princess who kissed a frog who became a, a wonderful, charming prince. But anyway, it had that purpose. After I had preached that sermon, for a couple of weeks, I kept getting frogs from people that I put in my office and finally got rid of all of them, but I got them. Sometime later, I preached a sermon and I told a story about a parrot. And I, I did not have the same thing happen. I didn't have a lot of people give me parrots for a period of time, but Betty Law brought one to me, gave me this parrot that I still keep and treasure it's made out of balsa wood, and it's from South America. I told that story, and I have delighted in the result of that story and the fact that she gave me this gift, which I still treasure. Here's the story. You heard it once, but I'm assuming you've forgotten. 
store owner who had an animal shop, a pet shop, had a parrot that was a rather remarkable parrot, was well known to everybody in the community. He kept it on a perch up near the front of the store, and when people came in, the parrot would make remarks to them, and they delighted in it. This one couple came in, and he looked at them, and he said to the man, hey, bud, come here. That was kind of sharp, and so he walked over there, and he said, what? And the parrot said, your wife is the ugliest woman I've ever seen in my life. And of course, the couple were enraged. They went back to the pet shop owner and told him what had happened and were extremely angry. And so was the owner. He went to the front of the, the auditorium, the building, the shop, and he took the parrot by its legs off its perch and pulled it up into his face and slapped it several times. He pulled out a, a tail feather and then he thumped it on the back of its head. And he said, that's just a hint of what's going to happen to you if something like that ever happens again. He put him back on the perch. And then the couple wandered through the store looking at various uh, pets there. But every now and then they'd glance up and that parrot would be watching them out of one eye. And finally they got ready to leave and as they went out the parrot were watching them and the man was watching him as they went out. And the parrot finally said just before they got out the door, hey bud, come here. And the man walked over there and he said, what? And the parrot said, you know what? <laughs> now what I want to suggest to you this morning is that we know what? There are some things we know that we ought to be about. When uh, the interbiblical came, period came, the rabbis coined a word called Shekinah. You've heard me use it a bunch of times. Uh, our pastor was a member of Bedford when I was his pastor, and, and he heard me use it a number of times. In fact, he wrote me from England about some of the sermons I had preached about Shekinah. Uh, Shekinah is a word that's not found in the Old or New Testaments. S-H-E-K-I-N-A-H, Shekinah. The rabbis coined it in the interbiblical period to make reference to what were called the theophanies, that is, the God appearances. Those times when God appeared to various people or groups of people in the Old Testament. For instance, Moses, when he was confronted with the burning bush, turned aside to see a bush that burned was not consumed and heard the voice say, take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy ground. And he realized the presence of God was here, the burning, glowing bush. And then again, Moses is confronted by that kind of Shekinah glory from God when he goes up onto the mountain after he led the children of Israel out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. He was spoken to by God on the mountain. He was somehow in the presence of God, though he never got to see the face of God. He came down from the mountain unaware that his own face was glowing because he'd been in the presence of God. The Israelites fell back because of, of his glowing face, and he had to put a veil over his face as he spoke to them. Eventually, 
the glory faded away before he realized it. he was wearing a veil for no reason, and he took the veil off. But the presence of God caused him, caused him to glow. And when he led these Israelites through that desert wandering, they were led by God, by a cloud of fire by night, the Shekinah presence of God, and a cloud of smoke by day. In the Old Testament, that prophet Elijah, remarkable person, Elijah was confronted by the power of the magistrate, and he was unworried. He was calm. His servant was not. He was beside himself with concern, fear. And Elijah prayed, Lord, open his eyes so he can see that they that be with us are greater than they that be with them. And his eyes were opened by God, and he could see chariots of fire between the chariots of those oppressors. And he was calmed because God was there. The presence of God was significant by these chariots of fire. Uh, this kind of thing occurred in the Old Testament a number of times, and they referenced it during the interbiblical period as uh, the Shekinah of God, Shekinah glory kind of goes together. Well, there came a period when the prophet's voice was silenced. That period of time after the return from exile when there was no no word from God that was spoken or written. Different things were going on, but, but the prophecy was quiet. And it was a time, it seemed, almost of darkness. It carried on for a good period of time. And though there were promises that had been made, there was not this presence of God that could be seen. And then one night, on a Judean hillside, there was this place of flame, this glow, uh, like a star that folks could see even from the distant east, a star that was the, signifying the presence of God, a, a marvelous glowing that showed that God was doing something rather remarkable. And of course it was. Uh, in, a, in a little town called Bethlehem, there was a child being born. And the angels would sing at this time, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those whom God finds pleasure. Glory to God. The angels sang, the hillside was lighted, and the Shekinah of God was indeed presence. And then that presence of God seemed to disappear again almost because that glory of God was veiled in human flesh. This baby came and they sang because of him and the hillside shone because of him, but he had wrapped his deity in human flesh. And when he walked, he walked as a man. When they carried him about, they carried him about as a babe. The glory did not shine from this one. His glory was, in essence, an eclipse, as the Christological hymn says in Philippians 2. He poured out his soul. He emptied himself. Isaiah had prophesied it. He poured out his soul unto death. He emptied himself so that when you saw him, you would see him as a man. Darkness was there. 
again. And then John the Baptist came. He came preaching uh, repentance and talking about the forgiveness of sins and the kingdom of God coming. John the Baptist was that remarkable person that the scripture referred to as the reappearance of Elijah. This John the Baptist, Jesus would say, can you accept him as that Elijah that is to come? And though he wasn't Elijah in person, he was that Elijah that would come, telling about this coming Shekinah that would light up the world. He walked in darkness. He walked about doing good, healing people, teaching about the kingdom of God. It's not why he came. He came to die. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, that one time in his life, when the incandescence of his deity burst forth through his humanity, and those three that were there, Peter, James, and John, could see the glory of God, the Shekinah glory. And of course, they didn't know what to do. That didn't ever keep Peter from doing something. And so he said, let's build three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then there is that brightness again, that cloud that engulfed them. It was a remarkable thing. And God says, this is my son whom I've chosen. Hear him. And then they go down from the Mount of Transfiguration to a broken world. And Jesus continues his remarkable ministry. And it seems that he does it in darkness. And then they come to the ultimate darkness. And Jesus has made his way back to Jerusalem when Jesus has marched to the place where he would be ultimately glorified there on Calvary's cross after he had been ignominiously treated when he had been illicitly judged and sentenced to death he was crucified and again darkness seems to prevail in remarkable fashion he died in darkness there uh, the scripture tells us that the earth was split, that rocks were torn apart, that there was this awful interruption. One writer says these were the sounds of God crying for his son had nails in his hands. And I don't know that that's perfectly accurate, but I take some delight in that story. For I think both the son and the father had remarkable anguish that day on the cross. That was the equivalent of the anguish you and I could know if we spent all eternity in hell. He died in my place. He paid a price I could not pay for a debt he did not owe. I am grateful to God for that particular day, for it is a remarkable time. Sin was present that day. There is no Shekinah evidence. God seems absolutely silent, and darkness is indeed pervasive. And so they continue on their way. He's raised on Sunday. This was Friday. As Anthony Campolo preaches, Sunday was coming. And on Sunday, he was raised from the grave. And there was this hint of Shekinah when Jesus Christ was raised. The folks who were uh, met by him on the road to Emmaus, 
those two said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us when he talked to us along the way? And indeed it was so. But he showed himself to them in the upper room. He met with different people at different points. And, and though he didn't glow like at the transfiguration, there was that afterglow of Shekinah that was there present with them. But he told them, you stay here in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes upon you. And Pentecost is just about three Sundays away. On the day of Pentecost, fully come, they came together. They always did that. The Jews did that on the Passover. So it was a natural gathering. They came together on the day of Pentecost. And on that day, all heaven broke loose. On that day, a ball of fire came in their midst. There was the sound as of a mighty rushing wind. And they saw these tongues of fire that came out and sat upon every believer. The evident, clear manifestation of God granting to us the gift of God's Holy Spirit. And what he was saying to us is that when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God comes to live in you. And you become that light, that light of the world. You are expected to have in you now that glow that the world can see and be transformed by. They can see their way to joy. They can see their way to forgiveness. They can see their way to victory because you have the light and you let that light shine. You're to punch holes in the darkness, a phrase I've used here many times. It's your responsibility as a child of God who, whom, in whom the Holy Spirit lives to do that. And the Holy Spirit says to you, hey, bud, come here. You know what? You know what you're supposed to do. You know who you are. You know whose you are. You know the need of the world. You need to shine. We sing the song, Shine, Jesus, Shine. Show the grace of the Father's glory. Blaze, Spirit, blaze. Set our land on fire. Well, we're supposed to do that. It is true, the Spirit does that. Jesus does that, living in us. But that's what we're called to do. We sang it as children. We need to make it the song of our hearts now. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine all over Fort Worth. Let it shine all over the world. When you step outside those doors, you enter a mission field. And what are you supposed to do? Well, kiss frogs, I guess. But more than anything else, you're supposed to shine Christ in you, the hope of glory. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the marvelous gifts you've given to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray in his name you'll help us to take our responsibilities seriously. We do know what. We do know that the Spirit of God lives in us, that the light is there, that the command of Jesus is to let our light so shine among men they may see our good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. Lord, shine, shine through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.